Well, good morning, church family. It is so good to, to be with you today on this Easter Sunday. Easter 2020 will be one that we will not soon forget uh, as we worship in this, in this new way. You know, there's a, there's, a, there's a greeting that is customary that has been used uh, for years and years in, in the Christian church as we have followed Jesus um, through the centuries. Uh, and it's kind of a call and response, you know, part of our, our call to worship regularly when we meet uh, in this facility has been to, to take the psalm and read it responsively. Well, this greeting that's customary of, of Christians on this day, uh, and, and really it's not exclusively for this day, it's just the day it gets used most often, uh, where, where a person will come and seeing another person will say, he is risen. Uh, and the other person responds with, he is risen indeed. Likely many of you have heard it. Likely many of you have used it in the past. And yet today, across Mountain Home, <laughs> maybe across the state of Idaho, maybe around the world, uh, let's just proclaim that today, shall we? He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen and amen that's the hope that's the joy of this day uh, that's the celebration uh, as we gather today in the name of of the risen christ in this unique and this unprecedented time where where we can't be together where we can't gather uh, in order to protect one another in order to show love for for our community and for the people around us and for one another um, we're separated today, and yet today, even in our separation, we declare the same message, we proclaim the same hope that we have always proclaimed on Easter Sunday, the hope that Christ is risen. Christ actually becomes our hope. He becomes our salvation on this day, and we celebrate that today. Our text this year for Easter Sunday is the resurrection text out of the Gospel of John. And I'll be reading from, from John 20 today if you wanna, want to turn there. One of, one of the commentators that I, I read this week in preparation mentioned that this, this is kind of the day when, when people flock to church. If there's a Sunday that they choose or, or a time of year that they choose, it's likely either Christmas or Easter for those that maybe don't attend church very often. And so if you're tuning in with us uh, and, and tried to find a way to, uh, to worship today, uh, I, I welcome you. Uh, but I, I also just realized that this text is one of the most radical texts that we cover. This, is, this story is so, um, so amazing, so uh, remarkable in its content, in what it says. Uh, today, you have found us as we recite the epicenter of our faith. We recently had, a, <laughs> had an earthquake in the Idaho area. It's the epicenter. It's the fulcrum on which all that we teach, all that we believe about Christ, and all that we believe about faith rests on this day and in this text. We welcome you. We rejoice with you today that you have chosen to worship with us. And it is so good to be together. We believe today is the day the Lord has made. And we will rejoice to, together online in this venue 
because we can't be together this morning. But welcome, uh, and let us read today from the Gospel of John, chapter 20. I'm going to be reading uh, verses 1 through 18 today from the Common English Bible. A reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 20. Early in the morning on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. She ran to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord from the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. Peter and the other disciple left to go to the tomb. They were running together, but the other disciple ran faster than Peter and was the first to arrive at the tomb. Bending down to take a look, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he didn't go in. Following him, Simon Peter entered the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. He also saw the face cloth that had been on Jesus' head. It wasn't with the other clothes, but was folded up in its own place. Then the other disciple, the one who arrived at the tomb first, also went and saw. Also went inside. He saw and believed. They didn't yet understand the scripture that Jesus must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. Mary stood outside near the tomb crying. As she cried, she bent down to look into the tomb. She saw two angels dressed in white seated where the body of Jesus had been, one at the head and one at the foot. The angels asked her, Woman, why are you crying? She replied, They have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've put him. As soon as she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she replied, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Don't hold on to me, for I haven't yet gone up to my father. Go to my brothers and sisters and tell them, I'm going up to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene left and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. Then she told them what he said to her. This is the word of God given to us, the people of God. And we say, thanks be to God. Well, we enter Sunday morning in darkness. Death is all around. Death has permeated this weekend. For the followers of Christ in this moment, they are latent with grief. It permeates and clogs up the air. It goes between those who had, had given their lives to following Jesus, those who thought he was the one, the one sent by God. In grief, sometimes you're not ready to move on. And, and, and while fear is winning, while, while grief is, is so present and so thick, Mary decides early in the morning, it says, while it was still dark, Mary decides to go to the tomb. Seeing the tomb with the stone rolled away and seeing inside the tomb that the tomb is empty, her, her worst fears have, are realized. 
The body is no longer there. The body had been taken. And, and, I, and I think in her mind, she, she thought, what else could go wrong? What else could there be? She goes to where the disciples had been staying. She was privy to that knowledge. The disciples had kind of decided to lay low after their teacher had been crucified. But she reports the news. The stone has been rolled away. Jesus' body is no longer there. And two respond, Peter and John. <laughs> John is the fast and, and cautious one. Peter is the, the slow, apparently, and, and reckless one. And what do they find? What do they find when they arrive at the tomb? Linen cloths and the face cloth. Odd things to find, odd things to, to encounter when you come upon a tomb and, and, and it feels like someone may have robbed the body or someone might have vandalized the sacred ground where your teacher, your friend had been buried. Who would take time in that moment of, of, of thievery, in that moment of, of trying to uh, make a gain out of raiding a tomb? Who would take time to unwrap the cloths? Who would take time to unwrap the body and to fold those cloths? Um, earlier in, in the gospel, just one chapter before, uh, it's said that Nicodemus contributed a, a large amount of spices, a large amount of, of um, uh, burial preparatory materials for the body of Jesus as he was taken to the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. That would have been the valuable thing to take. That would have been what the thieves would have wanted. And yet they find strips of linen. They find the face cloth folded and in its own place. And here we have the first report of belief. It's, it's the disciple who, whom Jesus loved that reports having believed the first. And yet we're left with this question, what did, what did this disciple believe? Tradition holds that uh, the disciple who Jesus loved was, uh, was John, uh, who is the credited author of the Gospel of John. Uh, and, and yet it says, what did he believe? And there's, there's not a whole lot of agreement among scholars about what the, the disciple John believed before he left. Did he believe Mary's report? Yes, the body is gone. That seems pretty, pretty simple, <laughs> pretty apparent. Did he believe that Jesus had, had resurrected? Did he believe that, that, that Jesus was now one that he could follow? Did he, did he understand the whole measure of who Jesus was? Uh, it, it's helpful when we when we think about this as being John's story about himself. You know, I, I think about I think back on times where where I, I make a discovery or when when I'm beginning to realize what had happened, and and I, I imagine John thinking about all the teachings that that Jesus had given, and, and he had talked about needing to die. He had talked about going to Jerusalem um, and, and sacrificing. And I just see in this picture, John reporting of himself, that was the moment that 
that faith cracked open for me and I began to understand, I began to believe. And yet he's still in that liminal space, that, that, that place between belief and unbelief. And when I, when I think about people today in this world, I think there are people in that place. There are people, uh, friends and relatives that we have, neighbors that we have that are, that are just right in the middle. Uh, I heard a report the other day that uh, one of the things that are flying off shelves today uh, through all of this crazy pandemic is Bibles. Uh, the Bible sales have, have gone up. I think there's people trying to reconcile and living in that, that liminal space of what is it that I, that I actually believe. I think we find John there beginning to believe, starting to understand, starting to remember all the things that had been taught. Well, John and Peter kind of retreat from this story. They, they, they retreat and go back home. They go back to the place where they had been hiding out. And Mary comes front and center into this story. It, it's, it's rather odd from the standpoint of, of women uh, and how they were treated and how their testimony was treated in this time. Uh, it stands for us as such an endorsement of, of women in their role of ministry. That they that the first one to to really encounter Christ after his resurrection in the Gospel of John is a woman. Uh, for the Church of the Nazarene and obviously for our church, we have uh, several women on staff and, and leading us a couple of of female pastors. I'm so grateful that for the Church of the Nazarene, this matter is settled. And yet, from the very beginning, it was a female that stayed around, that hung around and in her grief and in her torment and, and as, as painful as it was, she was relentless. She was going to find this body. Her inspection of the tomb yields a bit of a different result. She bends over and she, she looks in and what does she see? Two angels. I was reading one commentator this week, and, and, and his statement was this, angels always terrify those that they visit, almost always. Whenever you encounter a messenger from the Lord, particularly in the New Testament, um, the, <laughs> the people around kind of freak out a little bit. They always scare people. Often the first thing <laughs> that they say is, do not be afraid. Not here. Here to Jesus uh, in, in this moment as, as Mary is searching for Jesus, uh, these angels just enter into the story. She is still so resolute in her mission. She is going to find Jesus' body. She's still stuck on her, her prior assessment. Someone's taken the body of the one that I love in dismay. She, she asks, where is, the, where is this body? Where can he be found? In her tears and in her grief, she reaches out. 
something, whether it was a sound we're not told or, 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 or the, the presence, the, the feeling of presence of somebody else entering into this story captures Mary's attention and she turns around. And who does she see? She sees Jesus. There, there, there's this pregnant pause in the story. There's such anticipation. What's, what's going to happen? How's this going to end? What, what, what are we going to find out? When will she see? And, and there's this pause in the story. Do you remember the scene in Beauty and the Beast? In either one, the old one, the old animated one, the new one that Disney remade. I'm so glad in the remake they left this part alone. Belle, Belle finds her, herself in, in this village, a, a little out of place in this village. She's strolling through and we're, we're learning about the character of Belle. And all the townspeople are kind of singing about her. Uh, Gaston, the, uh, the village uh, hunk, has decided that he is going to set his sights on on wooing Belle and, and marrying her. Uh, but the village people are all singing about her and how she's odd and out of place. She's got a dreamy, far-off look with her nose stuck in a book. What a puzzle to the rest of us is Belle. And in response, she sings this song. Oh, isn't it amazing? It's my favorite part because you'll see. Here's where she meets Prince Charming. But she won't discover that it's him till chapter three. Do you remember this line? Do you remember this song? It's, it's like this pregnant pause. I live with uh, several children and there's a scene in, in Kung Fu Panda where uh, the same thing happens. Uh, Poe's dad comes and, and says, uh, I, I, I'm looking for my son. I've lost my son. And Poe turns around and says, really, I've never known my father. And, and they both, the, the crowd's looking back and forth between them. Uh, and... <laughs> closing of the scene the dad says i hope you find your i hope you find your dad someday and the son says i hope you find your son and they they turn around and the whole crowd's going what don't walk away you found each other and eventually they they turn around uh and embrace that's what's happening here that we we get caught in this moment of 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 mary not being able to recognize what's going on will we will she discover who it is she talking who she is talking to and jesus asked what's the matter what's the source of her tears she repeats her question where where is this body where has this body been taken jesus becomes a suspect <laughs> she says if you've taken him i'll do the work i will go get the body i will bring him back I can, I can hear her saying, no, no questions asked. Just tell me where he is. And then Jesus speaks her name. Mary. Mary. The whole gospel has been pointing to this moment. The whole gospel has been pointing to this revelation. This, the, the, the power of this moment is so palpable. It's so rich. It's so... 
it's so like Christ to reveal himself in this moment in tenderness and in care. Here we see the power of John 1 fulfilled. John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And what does it say? The Word was God. Something previous had had, had kept her from recognizing who Jesus was, creating this pause, this moment of, will she understand? Will she see? We're, we're told as the audience that this is Jesus and something keeps her from recognizing it. Perhaps she hadn't even fully given her attention to this gardener, to this man, for in her grief, in her, in her tears, maybe she just didn't want to look up. But what had Jesus said about the shepherd? What had Jesus said about the shepherd as he taught in John 10 earlier in this gospel? He said this, the sheep hear the shepherd's voice and the shepherd calls his sheep by name. Mary was the first sheep that he called after his resurrection, after he came back alive. That moment that we celebrate here on Easter, the first sheep that he calls by name is Mary. She turns out to be the first one to recognize his voice. Her eyes are opened, her ears suddenly attuned to who this was. She turns and recognizes Jesus. She turns and beholds her Savior. One commentator, Bruner, writes this, and, and I'm going to read this. In the one or two seconds that, that turn, in the one or two seconds this turn took, I imagine the world shifting ever so slightly on its axis. And at about this turn's one second midpoint trajectory, history, too, moved almost imperceptibly from B.C. to A.D., a second before this turn, there is a woman in the deepest human despair, in the agonizing presence of inconquerable death. A second after the beginning of this turn, there is a woman in the deepest possible human elation, in the presence of the death-conquering central figure of history. It is here that we have this first confirmation, the first realization of, of what has happened. Can it be? Can, can the dead really be raised? Has Jesus actually conquered death? Uh, lots of commentators pull out the fact that when Lazarus was raised, he kind of, we talked about this uh, several weeks ago, he hobbled out from the grave, all bound up in, in all of the grave clothes that he was buried with. The imagery here is that death no longer has a hold of Christ. There's no need for grave clothes. Christ will not return to this place. They can truly be laid aside. They have no power over Christ. In Jesus, the answer is yes. In Jesus, yes, the dead can be raised. Yes, it is true. Yes, it has happened. The gospel 
proclaims that the light now dispels the darkness. His goodness now overcomes evil. Grace is now the victor over sin. And yes, even life overcomes death. <laughs> the life overcomes death. That, that's not mine. I stole that. Uh, but it is so good. It's good preaching. This is what is so crazy. It's so unbelievable. It's so audacious about the text that we read on Easter. Death has no more power for life has overcome death. Where do we go? Where do we go? How do we, how do we respond on this most insane of weeks when we declare, yes, we believe it. Yes, it is true. It, this is the week that so many flock to church, except for this year. <laughs> Why do people come to church on Easter? Maybe because of ritual. Maybe because this is, this is how they had always attended church. I, I remember some people saying, yeah, my mom, my, my grandma really wants me to go to church on Easter Sunday. And so, so we, make the, we make the effort. I will tell you this, on Easter we are approached with this question, what do we do with the resurrected Jesus? How do we respond in this moment? <laughs> Other Sundays are, are a little easier to respond to. Uh, they're a little easier to swallow. Jesus talks about loving our neighbors. Jesus talks about serving others. He offers food to thousands of people. He calls us to remember those who are less fortunate than us and to reach out. Jesus calls us to do all these things. But lots of people can call us to do those things. Lots of people can speak of the, of the value. The people who teach us that can, can make a case for all of these. Go, go do these things. Go, go be this kind of person in the world. It's, it's a really good posture. But what do you do with the resurrected Jesus? He stands before you and the good shepherd calls you by name today. Offering you this incredible gift. It's, it's not an easy gift to receive. He, he calls us to, to walk as he did. What did we just talk about this week through Holy Week as he journeyed to Jerusalem? He was crucified. All these latent expectations of the nation of Israel laid on this person. This person said, I didn't come to do all that. I came as the suffering servant to lay down my life. And the call of Christ is to, to enter into that journey with him. To live as he did. This is not an easy gift to receive for he calls us to walk as he did and while this gift is not easy it is simple receive Jesus today receive his love declare today that you choose to walk 
with Jesus for the rest of your days. Start today your journey with him. For some of us, some of us who've walked with Jesus for a long time, remember today that this Christ, this resurrected Christ, still calls us by name. And we recognize the voice of the Good Shepherd and follow him. Would you pray with me? Oh God, we worship you today. We worship you, the risen Christ. We worship you today for you are the one who calls us by name, who, who calls us to live a different life. Oh God, we are so grateful for your love for us, for your sacrifice for us. May we be reminded today that, that you call us to live as you lived, to be your children. Would you help us to recognize your voice and to follow you as our shepherd? Today, God, I lift our congregation up to you uh, as they uh, worship uh, around Mountain Home, around the state, some from far away places, uh, according to reports that we've heard. We're, we're so grateful for the ability to meet in this way and to, to worship together in this way. I, I pray that you would minister to, to each person listening to this recording, maybe some who've just tuned in because, you know, it's, it's Easter Sunday. And, and they feel drawn, compelled because of, of habit, because of, of ritual, God. And yet today I pray that they would hear your voice speaking their name and inviting them to receive the simple gift, not the easy gift, but the simple gift of modeling their lives after you, of following after you in all they say and do. Father, we're so grateful for your love for us. Would you be with us this day? Thank you for all that you do. And would you be very near to us in these days? For you are our hope. You are our life. You are the one who dispels the darkness with your life. You are the one who, who offers hope in the midst of fear. And you are the one who has brought about the reality that life overcomes death with your resurrection. We celebrate that today. We celebrate, we say, Praise the Lord for what you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we had planned to, to celebrate in baptism today. Baptism is a celebration for those who've made that choice. I'm going to follow Christ in my life. Uh, and, and it's a centuries-old tradition that on Easter Sunday, we, we baptize those new believers, those who've made this incredible choice and, and begun this incredible journey. But online baptisms just wouldn't be the same. <laughs> Not to mention it would violate all the guidelines they've given us. Um, but I will tell you this. 
that when we return to church, when that time comes that we're able to, to return to gathered assemblies, we will baptize some folks. And oh, what a mighty celebration it is when someone says, I've chosen to follow Christ and I want to share that with the world. Today, if you're listening, today, if you're worshiping with us and you have said for the very first time, I want to follow this Christ, the one who calls my name, the good shepherd that leads us, we would love, we would love, it would be our joy to celebrate with you in this way, to baptize you and to cheer as you come up out of the water for you have made that choice. It would be our honor to do that. And so we invite you to do that. Uh, what, a, what a fabulous return it will be when we come back into this place and get to share in that moment. May I offer you this blessing today. May you discover along with Mary, behold, the tomb is empty and upon turning around, may you hear your voice spoken by the risen Christ and recognize your shepherd, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. Amen. Amen. Go in the love of Christ.